Welcome to I'm Fine, You, brought to you by Maybelline New York, where we are normalizing the conversation around anxiety, depression, and mental health. Now here's your host, Chrissy Rutherford. Hello, and welcome to I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline New York. Maybelline's Brave Together initiative is dedicated to breaking the stigma around anxiety and depression while addressing challenges and providing resources to those in need. Hi, I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and on this podcast, we're channeling this mission into real-life conversations to help normalize talking about our mental health and provide tangible resources and guidance to anyone who might be struggling or who knows someone that is. Today, I am joined by actress, content creator, influencer, and podcast host, Caitlin Reagan. Caitlin was just 11 years old when she first met her soulmate, Francesco, and as they grew, their love story captivated social media. But years later, their fans were heartbroken to learn about his cancer diagnosis and subsequent passing in 2022 at the age of 24. Since that time, Caitlin has been on her own journey of grief and has bravely been using her many platforms to share her story in the hopes of helping anyone who has also lost a loved one. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing, you know, a very vulnerable story with me and our audience. Of course, every true love story has a beginning. So I would love for you to, you know, set the stage for us here and tell us about how you first met your boyfriend, Francesco, and the type of person he was. Oh, thank you so much, firstly, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, it was quite the love story. I met Francesco when I was super young. I was like 12, 13 years old. He was a little break dancer and I was a ballerina at the dance studio. I mean, I was a ballerina too back in the day. Yes. (laughs) So there was just so many of us ballerinas and there was just one break dancer. So you can imagine that everybody liked him. (laughs) So I was a little jealous, but it was really intriguing to see that we kind of aligned at a very young age. And he ended up having to leave dance because he was doing bad at school and his parents just wanted him to focus on grades. And I was like, I'm never going to see him again. And in high school, I had a best friend that just magically went to the same high school as him. And she was like, there's this hot guy that he's at this (laughs) school. His name's Francesco. And I'm like, why does that name sound so familiar? It's like, I know a Francesco. And we kind of put two and two together that it was him. Oh my God, that's so cute. I feel like also, especially (laughs) like when you're a dancer, Boys who can dance, you're like, oh my God. There's, I agree. I mean, still to this day, that's the ultimate. There's nothing better than that. <laughs> I agree. And he was always my, if we had weddings or sweet 16s, like as we kind of grew together, yeah. he had the dance move. So he was just so much fun as like a date. <laughs> he was just super outgoing. You know, he, he was just very laid back. He didn't really stress the small stuff. And I think it's because looking back now that he had so much going on that he just realized what life was about earlier that, you know, a lot of us do. Yeah. And what were some of the things that you loved the most about him? Something that I I was actually just talking about this other day. He was very good at making you know that you're loved, which sounds funny because it's like we all love people, but he really showed it the way that he looked at you, the way that he would go out of his way for you. I come from a family that's a little bit more like a handshake and a little pat on the back. And so the way that he really embraced you and talked to you and reminded you how special you were, 
he just was really good at making you feel super special if you were special to him. Yeah, that's really yeah. sweet. Yeah, and I think when you're not necessarily used to that, that really makes someone stand out. Like, wow, this person is just giving me a different energy yeah. that I've ever felt or received from anyone else. So that yeah. is uh, very special. And, you know, relationships are journeys with all sorts of moments. What are some of the most important memories you carry in your heart? We had such a beautiful dynamic. Everything that he was really, really good at, I was lacking in my life. And he really just helped me out of dark times and vice versa. I was very a workaholic. I always wanted to just chase things in life. And I never had an off button. And he was very good at saying, hey, Kim, it's nine o'clock at night. Let's watch a movie. And you know, you don't always need to be in this mindset. Be human. Be a human being. And I didn't understand what he meant. And then for him, he was always super laid back and didn't have that same motivation. So I'd be like, come on, Francesco, we got to wake up. We got to do these things. And we had this beautiful dynamic. And I, I think as an overall, I miss that partner in crime that always kept me grounded and I always kept him going. And right. That's yeah. Yeah. And overall. Yeah. And I feel like that happens with a lot of couples, right? You're kind of attracted to those qualities that you feel like you're lacking, but it's somewhere inside of you. It's in there. <laughs> Somebody needs to bring it out of you. Exactly. And obviously you refer to Francesco as your soulmate. Tell us what that means to you and about the deep connection that you two shared. I think soulmates are so deep to me, especially like since he's passed away, like I really had time to think about it. I think number one, when we recognize that a relationship isn't working and we're willing to be strong enough to say, hey, I'm not going to force something that's clearly not meant to be. And there was a lot of moments in our time together that we were like, okay, let's take a break and let's break up. And I think a soulmate is you guys are both willing to put the relationship on hold and go out and find yourselves and understand who you are as an individual. So you can kind of come back into that relationship if it's meant to be and show up for each other. Yeah. And I just think that what really made us soulmates at the end, zooming out and looking at the whole relationship was that, number one, we were willing to take those breaks because I think deep down, we both really wanted to figure out how can we make this work? And number yeah. two, we kept trying. We never gave up on each other. It was like a, a passion on both ends to keep giving it another go. Yeah. You know, for sure. And yeah, I think that is really special when you obviously love someone very deeply, but you don't necessarily feel like, oh, I have to own you and you're only mine. And you guys gave each other the space to, yeah, to do what you needed to do and, and we'll mm -hmm. come back together. And beyond all the back and forth when we were actually together and we had those moments, I think being in somebody's arms and just feeling like this is enough. Yeah. I am just so happy to be here right now. Yeah. I, I don't care what my friends are doing right now. You know, sometimes you're on social media and you're like, everybody's doing this. Yeah. You know, my phone's of down. Course. Like just being embraced in his arms. Yeah. And I think also with a soulmate, sometimes you can't even really communicate it, right? It's a feeling and it's Absolutely. just literally, it's like your soul recognizing another like soul. I know and like, you. Yes. That's yes. all that matters. Yes. Totally agree with that. So over the course of your relationship, you gained a huge social media following and to the outside world, things must have seemed perfect, right? Yeah. In your relationship. But then the unthinkable happened. What was it like to learn that Francesco had cancer and how did you process the emotions around that as his illness progressed? I think 
what Francesco and I always really wanted was to feel like we're normal 25-year-olds where we're like every other couple because there was other TikTok couples and we wanted to keep up with them and we'd collaborate with them. But deep down inside, we were realizing we were having a hard time keeping up because we weren't like everybody else. Yeah. And to sit here and continue to try and pretend was just unrealistic. And I remember there was just one day in particular where he had very serious back pain and he was like, listen, I need to go into the hospital. I can't keep sleeping like this. And we rush him there. And then we find out that not only did his cancer come back, but it hit his main organs, like his liver and lungs. And it was then that I was like, yeah, we can't, you know, publicly, we can't keep hiding from this reality that we're living in. I think the fun part about trying to show up to the world and not talk about this was because we were, number one, trying to be in denial, and number two, trying to escape the nightmare that we were really living in. But I think it was more empowering when we decided we're going to just show up and be who we are because, number one, it allowed us to connect with people and people could connect with us. And I don't know, it's just... It just became something really empowering. We started a movement to just bring awareness, to just be yourself. And it's okay if you're going through something serious. You don't need to hide from it to fit in with the world. You know, there was so much to it. It was really ended up being beautiful. I'm really happy that we chose to bring it to life. So when was he first diagnosed with cancer? So he originally got diagnosed when he was 17 years old. And when he first got it, it was something very minor, and they they said it's going to be okay, like a surgery. We'll take it out, yeah, good to go. Got and that's it. exactly what happened. And then it came back when, as he got older, when we were like twenty four, in a very aggressive way that nobody was expecting. Okay, so you had really been with him through the whole progression of everything. Wow. Yes. When we were younger, the way that I showed up for him versus as we got older and, you know, I was really understanding what was going on was way different. I'm sure. Right. Like trying to show up for somebody at 17 versus 24. It's a very different way. But it's just interesting to be with somebody that's going through something because like that, you know, being sick, he really taught me at an earlier age because I think sometimes we don't learn what life is about because at my age it's just about like you think you're invincible you're in your 20s or like your teens into your 20s you think that you're invincible and life is forever quite frankly you you (laughs) honestly just said it perfectly I couldn't have said that any better that's exactly (laughs) what it is it's exactly what it is and I I think that he really taught me at a younger age what life is about and it's a blessing and a curse because of course you know I I see what life is. And it was kind of hard to accept that. Yeah. But I think it's also hard to sometimes really connect with friends and stuff like that because they still see the world like that. Yeah. So it's like, how how can I find that person again inside of me? Sometimes I want to just pretend, but I think it's more important to continue understanding what life is and being that mature person in the group. And again, it's all about just being who you are. Absolutely. And I mean, let's be real. These moments of hardship, tragedy, any type of adversity really end up shaping the person that you are. You are not the same person that you were before this. And there's so many lessons in that as well. So what happened is you've really gained so much perspective around what the world is really like, and I think what you really value, right? Yes. You're not going to sweat the small stuff that perhaps your friends are Mm -hmm. still dealing with because they haven't 
had to experience such challenges yet. Yeah. And I talk about it in my podcast. It's like up to the little things of back in the day, I'd go on the beach and you want to put your tanning oil on. You want to get the best tan. That's the objective. And now I go to the beach. I'm kind of just like, I still want to get a tan. Of course. I'm like, the sun is just so beautiful. <laughs> right. I love the birds. <laughs> You're just seeing the And also wear your SPF. <laughs> I agree with that. My mom actually always yells at me and she's like, you're going to get wrinkles if you don't stop. I'm like, okay, I'm going to wear it. But yeah, just literally the little things, you know, you go on a beach and I'm looking at the sun. I'm like, wow, it's so beautiful. Or I'm reading and I just feel like a different sense of inner peace that I've never felt before. Mm. I love that. And throughout Francesco's battle, I feel like you were speaking to this a little bit before about obviously you were by his side providing support and showing up in a much bigger way in your 20s. What were some of the biggest lessons you learned about caring for a loved one who is ill and the best ways to show up for them in their time of need? I think that one of the major things that Francesco really struggled with with having cancer so young was that he felt different and he felt like a freak and he just felt like he's this guy and has all this baggage and he doesn't understand why anybody would want to date him or be with him. And I think this is something that I, when he brought his feelings to life on social media, a lot of people said that they felt the same. And I, I think it's just about, number one, it's so important to give them that escape. Mm. It's not always... It's not always about taking care of them. They don't want to. Right. Sometimes it's like, let's just watch a movie right. and just be a human for a second and yeah. pretend that you're not super sick and right. have those moments of escape. Giving them that that escape of life is so important to them. Yeah. He wants to have that normality. And then also they really need like reassurance. Like, hey, I'm really happy to be here right now. Yeah. This is not a burden to me. Yeah. Being here is a pleasure. Being here is, I even told him for me, it felt like my purpose for a while, mm. you know, being in that world. I remember there was this one day that he had to go into surgery because he had a tumor by his spine. And I remember that the stakes of the surgery was very high. Maybe he will have to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Unfortunately, the surgery doesn't go well. And right. I was like, well, what do I really want him to know before he goes into this? And I was just sitting with myself and I'm like, you know what? I want him to know that this is my purpose. I wake up every day and I genuinely like, this is where I want to be. And I, I really want to show up for you because I love you. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. That's really you know? sweet. Yeah. And I think that obviously also speaks to who you are as a person, because I'm sure that there is a lot of 20 something year olds who would not want to deal with that at all. They just want to be out having fun and living their life and being able to step up and be there for someone when you're like, this is not how I thought my life was going. Mm -hmm. You know, that speaks a lot to your character. So that's, you. you know, really lovely that you were able to do that for him. And so obviously in March of 2022, cancer took Francesco from you. And you said that at the time you thought your life was over. But since then, you've been working hard obviously, to tell your story and to help others. Tell us about the practical things that you would do each day to cope with your grief. I think that when it first happened, it's like, I don't want to do anything at all. That was my original. There's no such thing as doing anything. It just, it it really felt like that was it. Mm-hmm. And then as you continue to go on day by day and you start to realize that you're living in the survival mode, it's not mm-hmm. actually living because... You're just trying to get by just to make everyone else happy, like my mom, and I don't want to freak people out. And then you start to say, I don't don't want to live like this. 
steps? What do I have to do? And I think yeah. number one is you need to want to do better. You need to Absolutely. want to you need to want to see that there's more to life and you don't need to suffer in this way for as long as you don't let yourself, you know? And yeah, I think so. Number one is I need to want this. And then yep. number two is acknowledging, wait, I don't actually need to live like this. My life doesn't need to be over. And then number three, like I remember just sitting down and writing on a piece of paper and just saying, what am I feeling right now? What am I scared of? Mm, I love that. What are my fears? And one of them, one of the major ones, because my whole TikTok page was him and I, our videos, and was watching one. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch a video. I don't want to see my phone and like the feeling in your <laughs> stomach where it's like, oh, right. I don't want to touch my phone. I'm like, no, no, I can't live like this. I can't yeah. hear deeply too. I would see my phone and get sick to my stomach. It was a serious pain that's even hard to articulate. So I'm like, I remember just grabbing my phone and I'm like, I'm going to watch a video. And I watched the video and it hurt. It yeah. hurt so bad. But I was okay with hurting because I didn't have a choice. And long term, I saw my life in a different way and it needs to start somewhere. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we're scared to hurt. Oh, face things. Absolutely. I think most people right. are and put a lot of energy actually into trying to escape the pain. Yeah. But yep. it eventually catches up to you at one yep. point or another. I was thinking too, I'm like, you know what? I don't need to do any of that. Like who says I need a face? Like I'll go out or I'll go to a dinner. And I'm like, if I keep running, because that's what it felt like, mm -hmm. will it actually ever go away? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so though. It feels yeah. like it follows me deep down everywhere. Yeah. How long I'm can sure. I play this game for? You know, what was the response like from your community as well? Did you feel really like held by them? Because I'm sure so many of them also were kind of devastated right there with mm -hmm. you. I think that I definitely felt supported by everybody, but I, I realized that a lot of people were, it's a very tricky thing. I've noticed that a lot of people get awkward approaching mm, yeah. somebody that's going through it. And I, I felt that awkwardness and I wanted to help them help me in a way. Cause it's like, you know, they're like, I don't know how to approach somebody that's going through this or. Yeah, I think that's actually such a difficult thing for yeah. most people to do is support another person. Or what do you say? You know, you don't yeah. want to like upset the person or you don't want to make them cry. Yeah. But I think the coolest thing about not knowing is that you don't know and that's OK. And I think yeah. there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I I don't really know what I'm doing here, but help me help me because I want to be here for you. Yeah. And those the little things like the honesty it goes such a long way. I think more people can own that. You know, yeah. it's okay. I wouldn't even, as I, somebody that was in the situation, I had a friend that also lost somebody shortly after. And I remember just texting her and saying, whatever it is that you need from me, because I don't know what you need, right. know that I will do it. You tell me what it is. If you need me to sleep over, I am here, but I don't know what you need. When you're ready, you tell me. Yeah. I feel like really the best way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't always know that you're going to show up in the way that someone really needs you to. So I do think sort of being like, let me know how I can really support you is absolutely the best way to go about it. Did the whole situation change your feelings about being on social media and sharing on social media? I definitely needed the year off that I took. Once he passed, I let everybody know because they were like very involved in our journey, which to this day, I like extremely appreciate. Yeah. We actually did like a, a group prayer. I did Aww. like a live right before he passed. And there was 
thousands of people on this live. I think 20,000 people. And we just sat down and we kind of prayed together. And it was really empowering to see when you bring a community together, what it can even make you feel. But when I took the break, I was like, I can't go back to social media and, you know, pretend like this didn't happen. I need to come back and at least, you know, address this. But then I was like, I don't want it any other way. Like, I want to show up back to the world and help people out of this. Because when it first happened to me and I was in this situation feeling so empty and lost, I realized that there's not a lot of people that really bring this to life. Grief, it's an uncomfortable, taboo conversation to have. And I was like, I really want to break this, especially at my age. Absolutely. I think especially to be a voice for that to your generation, I think is so helpful because, yeah, I just think that's not really something that you see a lot. And also I think, you know, even just your unique situation of you lost a person that you were in a romantic relationship with also obviously had a very deep friendship. Perhaps people kind of go through this with their parents or losing a sibling. So even in that, I feel like it's a very unique perspective because as I kind of said before, you really stepped up to support someone when you could have easily been like, I I know you're going through a tough time. I'll check in every now and again, but I'm going to go live my life. And you didn't do that. I just was sitting down and I'm just like, what would I want from somebody? I try really hard to be like, how would I want to be treated in this situation? I'm not always going to get it right, but I just knew that he really needed a purpose just yeah. because the cancer, it's very painful. Yeah. You know, the pain, it's like after a while, you're like, yeah, I just, it's not worth it. And yeah. it's like, how can I keep giving this person a, a reason for as long as I can to say, no, it is worth it. It is worth it. And that was my goal. Even we created a beanie line because he was he lost his hair from the chemo. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to give him an activity to do. And he yeah. always wanted to be like a little business owner. And I'm yeah. like, come on, look, we're living out your dreams. Just giving them something, a, yeah. a reason, a purpose to keep fighting is so important. Yeah. And I want to go back to how are you truly taking care of yourself during that period of grief? Obviously, you talked about telling yourself it's okay for you to Mm -hmm. feel this and really showing yourself compassion, which I think is so important. But yeah, were there any other things that you were doing to like, obviously took time off social media. That's Mm -hmm. super helpful. Were you journaling? Did you travel at all or just spending time with loved ones and whatnot? I'm just curious how you really took care of you after, especially like taking care of someone else for so long. Yeah, it was definitely weird trying to learn how, how to take care of myself when you're mm-hmm. so accustomed to neglecting yourself in a way, which yeah. is something that I really wish I did better in that time with him here. But well, number one thing that I really, really helped me with the grief was I really liked to talk about it. I talked yeah. a lot about what happened, him. You know, I didn't want to be scared to think about him. Like really yeah. just bringing things to life, number one, was my go-to and Being around a lot of people that also suffered from the laws of Francesco, I noticed there's some people that don't like to talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, but I noticed that they're in a different place than I am today. And I I really do think that talking things through, it's one of the best things that you can do in something like this. It really helps you just come to terms with everything, number one. And number two, my biggest escape was a gym. Physically Ugh. working on myself yeah. was one of the best things that I could do because when I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, hey, physically, I'm feeling better today. It, it really helps you mentally. Yeah, of course. The endorphins. Oh, it was my go-to. I went every day. 
coming up with a routine in the morning uh-huh. because you wake up and you're laying in bed and you're like, what yeah. do I do with myself? And it's like, no, no, no I know what I want to do with myself. I'm going to wake up, again, shower. And after the shower, I'm going to do my skincare. After yeah. my skincare, maybe I'm going to fill my water bottle up with some lemon and drink it. And it's just the little things. things. Yeah. Because once you start to become, you know, once you start to have that morning routine and you're like, okay, well, now what does my afternoon look like? And then, hey, what do I want to do for my future? And you start to train your brain to want more mm-hmm. out of life again. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I think oftentimes when we, think and talk about self-care. People think it's, oh, spending a lot of money to go get a massage or like a fancy face mask. I did a lot of those. Yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) of course, it's great to do those things and they make us feel good. But yeah, there is something, again, in those simple acts of being present with ourselves and really listening to like, okay, what do I need? Oh, this lemon water is gonna really make me feel good going to the gym and working out even on the days that we don't want to, but like, you know, the end goal is that it's going to make you feel good. And that just keeps you going. Absolutely. And this, this sounds really funny. I feel like sometimes when I talk about it, but I never realized because in my lifetime, I had issues with people. Maybe I wasn't talking to them anymore. Mm, And once he passed and I was, I lost everything. I realized that like to build myself back, I really want to bring peace in every part of my world, every issue that I ever had. And there was a lot of people that I've had issues with in the past and they reached out and said, hey, it's just not worth it. You know, if you ever need anything, I'm here. And I really needed that. And then I I was like, you know what? I want to reach out to this person that we fought over clothes three years ago and never (laughs) looked at each other again. I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm here. I'm always here for you. I want the best for you. Like whatever problems we had, I don't want them anymore. And I hope you feel the same way. And even that text to them, I kept taking burdens off my shoulders. And after a while, I'm like, oh, I really am finding this peace. I didn't even know that I needed this. I thought that those issues, okay, you don't want to talk to me ever again. I don't care, but I did. I cared. I I was walking and carrying that for a while. And I just think, again, it it changes our perspective and we want to make that totally. But why does it take for this to happen to see it like that? Because- that is how life works sometimes, right? <laughs> it's know, like it takes a tragedy for you yeah. to realize, shit, all these other things that I was worried about or fighting with people about, it doesn't even matter. No, it doesn't. It really, really doesn't. And I love that you were able to forgive and make amends with people because, as you said, that's another sort of burden off your shoulders. So that must have felt amazing. It did. It really did. And so, you know, this podcast, we're all about destigmatizing conversations around mental health. And as someone who is living with loss and grief yourself, what advice do you have for anyone listening on how to show up for someone in their lives who is grieving? Number one, it's the little things like a text message or a call and just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. And hey, I don't really know, again, what you need or how I can show up for you, but just know that if you let me know, I will be there and I I care is one of the best things that you could do. Also, just little things like, you know, I love an iced coffee. You come to my house and you want to spend time with me. You show up with a little iced coffee, like it's so thoughtful. It makes me feel so loved. Even though sometimes we don't know what a person needs, we do know who they are and what they love and bringing them little candies that they know that it's their cheap food or whatever it right. is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Also just willing to give them your time. I yeah. think time that costs zero dollars, maybe like you have a day off of work, go to their house. Yeah. I think I really struggled with being 
scared to ask people around me, like, do you mm. mind spending a day with me? Because I didn't want to come off like a burden and bring them of to my course. house and I'm sad and I don't want to make them feel sad because I'm sad. And I just wish maybe sometimes people were like, hey, by the way, if you need this, I'm willing to do it. Yeah. So let them know that you're willing to do it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who struggle with mental health, whether it's anxiety, depression, or people who are struggling with grief, I think a lot of people worry about, oh my God, I'm going to burden other people if I ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a huge barrier sometimes, right? It is. It is. And I also think it's really fair to feel like a burden. I think people reminding us that we're not a burden and that they're willing to show up is extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. Any parting advice you'd like to give to the audience? Just remember that it's okay not to be okay. Also that grief, it comes in waves. One minute you're okay, one minute Mm -hmm. you're not. If you're feeling guilty about feeling okay, don't. Embrace it. It feels good to feel good and you deserve to feel good. And when you're feeling sad, be sad. Sit with that sadness. It's okay to feel sad and embrace and face those emotions. I think sometimes when we're sad, we were like, oh, well, I need to run to a friend. And why? Sit with yourself. And I think that we learn the most about ourselves when we're feeling that sadness. Mm-hmm. And I just think for me, when I would get sad, I'm like, what, what do I really want right now? And it was a book I wanted to read. And it it helped yeah. me. Like, you learn so much about yourself when you're sad. And I think being sad is human. It makes you a human. And it's okay. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Kaylin, thank you so much for being here today. I really, really appreciate you sharing this story and your vulnerability and candor is just has been amazing. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing talking to you. Have a good one. You too. I want to give a huge thank you to Caitlin for coming on the show today and sharing her journey of love and grief. And remember, we're here to provide access to mental health resources and support those who need it most. For more information, visit Maybelline.com slash Brave Together. And don't forget to make sure you're subscribed to I'm Fine, You. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Chrissy Rutherford, and this has been I'm Fine, You, presented by Maybelline, New York.